1: This episode of The Reset is recorded in partnership with Vita Modula, who actually built the home studio I recorded this in. If you fancy having a first class, beautifully designed and expertly constructed office, studio or man cave built out in your back garden, I can't recommend them highly enough. Check them out at vita-modula.co.uk Hello, and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is Veronica Valley, a psychotherapist, author, and host of the Soberful podcast. This being a podcast chiefly designed to encourage men to be a bit more open about their mental health, my guests are usually men, but Veronica has a message about sobriety that I think is really engaging and universal. With 20 years of experience in helping people live better, happier, funner, more joyful lives without the booze. I'm all about normalising sobriety and emphasising to people how excellent life becomes when you knock drink on the head. I read Veronica's book, Soberful, and I thought I hadn't read someone who wrote about sobriety in such a practical way and with such warmth, humour and positivity. So I was really keen to get her on the pod and I was delighted when she said that we could have a chat. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Veronica Valley, welcome to The Reset.
2: Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here.
1: It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, Veronica, you're 22 years sober, so congratulations on that. One of the first things I want to ask you about is how have things changed? Because as someone who who got sober about seven years ago, I feel as if I chose, I mean, I didn't really choose it for this reason, but I chose quite (laughs) a good time because conversations about sobriety, positive portrayals about sobriety feel more prevalent these days, which is uh, uh, fantastic. But how have things changed from your perception over these 22 years?
2: Hugely. Um, I got sober when I was 27. uh, And it was, I mean, it was, I got sober in 2000. It was before, the internet was really a thing. I mean, mm. it, it really, I mean, it was a thing, but nobody was using it very much. Um, and it was still very much a dirty secret. I mean, I was kind of encouraged to not, you know, it was, an, anonymity had been confused with secrecy. So you mm. it, I didn't really talk about it in like generally, you know. I mean, it came up because I worked in the addictions field, but I still got reactions like, Like bloody hell, you know, like that's like a severe, major thing. Mm. Um, The change that I have seen—I mean, it's not just sobriety; it's it's also just how we talk about mental health in the public space. You know, again, I think twenty-two years ago, if you just said, "I'm seeing a therapist because I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z," people would be like, "Ooh," (laughs) you know. Whereas, you know, we have like Prince Harry talking about it publicly. Um, I think. you can relate to this this to the rise in instagram it's in the last five to seven years i have really noticed so many people just speaking publicly about stopping drinking being sober being alcohol free documenting how much better they feel kind of how their perception about alcohol has shifted. So it's really kind of moved away from this like rock bottom, like alcoholic quit because you have no other choice to people who don't fit any kind of stereotype of what an alcohol problem looks like. And lots of people who don't really have, you know, I've met there's a big kind of alcohol free movement where people i stopped i think like you because i had no choice there was no pro- i had a real problem but i think lots of people are like mm, this is not really bringing anything to my life i'm just going to cut it out altogether and really embracing an alcohol free lifestyle so i i've seen a massive change in that time and i'm really interested to see where that goes next
1: yeah it's uh, it's fantastic just what what do people what do you think people's <laughs> assumptions were about you or what did you fear people's assumptions were about you in those days when perceptions were different and they might know that you're completely teetotal
2: well I think because I I use the word alcoholic I, I that word fits me mm. uh, very well and I'm very comfortable with that word um and I know like I, I mean I had the same perception I thought an alcohol alcoholic was You know, a smelly old man on a bench drinking out of a brown paper bag and homeless. That's what an alcoholic was to me. So um, when I, I discovered that I fit the description of what an alcoholic was, which was an internal condition of restless, irritable and discontented, I for me, it was like, oh, my God. First of all, I was like, that's what my problem is. So I'd been look, I'd been searching for help for 10 years. Well, I, and, and I didn't really know what my problem was. I th- thought it was mental health problems. I had panic attacks and anxiety. But um, so when I knew my problem was and I embarked on the solution, I, I was really like, whoa, like this is within a year. My life was very different. I, you know, I, I was getting my life together, blah, blah, blah. So I know that I other people have the same perception and I never f- you know, you'd look at me and you don't see that. I mean, I'm almost 50 now and I look like a, you know, like a white middle-class mummy of two young kids. So I quite enjoy it and I've always enjoyed it when people say, oh, what do you do? And I say, well, you know, when I was an addictions therapist or I worked in rehabs, oh, that's interesting. How did you get into that? Well, I'm a recovered alcoholic and an ex-cocaine addict. I like to throw in as oh. well sometimes <laughs> because I know people are like, mm. uh, like, I do not look like, what yeah. they think that and i've always wanted to break down those stereotypes mm. that it it's it, it's not we've always been told that most people everyone most people drink most people don't have a problem. There's a you know, few people on the edge, poor them, bless their souls. The smelly old men on benches who can't handle mm. it. But everyone else in the middle is fine. And my argument is actually everyone else in the middle is not fine. I was in the middle. Mm. I never even drank every day. And, and this is what an alcohol problem looks like. And I say this to all my clients. All my clients look like me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I've had people actually say to my face, tell me oh you, you didn't have an alcohol problem mm. and it's really it's quite annoying actually although you know it's good not to get annoyed about these things mm. but people because and you go oh why is that and people say well because and one of the, the things you hear most uh often is well you weren't drinking vodka before breakfast were you Right. Yeah. And and actually, the truth is, yeah, I was sometimes. But of course, yeah. you know, by definition, you're quite good at hiding this stuff when you're in the yeah. depths of it. So no one knows. Yeah. But also, it's just um, it's the wrong way to to sort of define people with a drinking problem, because it means so many people, as you eloquently put in your book, you know, so many people sort of convince themselves and are convinced by their peers that they've got control when they haven't. I mean, what, what what sort of things do you tell? What, what kind of questions do you ask people if they come to you and ask for you to sort of assess the situation they're in?
2: Yeah, that, that's so common. I write about that in my book. I, I have a chapter on the on the characters that you meet when you stop drinking.
1: Mm. And, and
2: one of them is the sudden addiction expert. Yeah. And, and that's, that's your mate goes, Sam, you don't, listen you don't have a drink problem yeah you know, it's not like you know and, and all of a sudden they have all this expertise so this is the analogy i give because again no, pe- generally like i didn't know we don't know we think it's basically people drink, drinking 24 7 and if you're not mm. doing that you're fine especially you know you've got a nice house you've got a nice wife you look mm. you know you on the outside everything looks okay so an alcohol problem shows up internally years, even decades, before it shows up externally. And externally, I mean Drinking vodka before breakfast, falling over, you know, driving drunk, getting arrested, losing your job. Those are all external things. The internal things are how you feel about yourself. It's the not feeling comfortable in your own skin, being full of fear, being full of self-loathing, anxiety. All of those feelings that we use alcohol to quell. And mm. And I think what we've done, especially in British culture, is we have defaulted... To alcohol to manage our emotional life. And, you know, if you're stressed, have a drink. But, you know, row with your spouse, have a drink. You know, rough week, you deserve a drink, mate. You know, it's mm. like, so we don't develop these emotional skills that we need to just navigate through life because alcohol, we can just use alcohol. So the analogy I always give my clients is people who, you know, first of all, I will say this. People who don't have a problem with alcohol, they don't do dry January, FYI. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, People who don't have a problem with alcohol, um, they think about alcohol the same way that I think about sandwiches. So I'll think, you know, I might have a sandwich for lunch today. That'd be nice. And I eat it. And then tomorrow I have maybe, I think, oh, I have some soup. And next day I have salad. And then at the weekend, I'm at a party and a plate of sandwiches goes by. And I think, oh, yeah, I have a couple of those. And I enjoy my sandwiches and then a bit later the plate goes by again I go no thanks I'm good that's mm. literally how much space in my head sandwiches rents if alcohol rents space in your head it's a red flag that it's a problem mm. and people who have a problem with alcohol do four things they drink they think about drinking they think about not drinking and they recover from drinking and for me the 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 indication is thinking about not drinking. Only, you know, my husband drinks very rarely. My stepdaughter drinks very rarely. They they think about alcohol the same way I think about sandwiches. It would never occur to them to do dry January because they just don't think about it ever. It's the thinking about not drinking that I think is a real indicator. And I think when you when I give that example, way more people fit into that than, you know, the rock bottom on a park bench type uh, description.
1: What about people who would say, they might release listening say, yeah, that, that applies to me. I am quite careful about when I do and don't drink. And that actually shows that I have successfully taken control of my drinking because I know plenty of people who will tell me that. They go, the thing is, drinking is not a problem with me because I compartmentalise it so carefully and so well. Um
2: So I I love that, and this is how I answer that. And I I use this as a hashtag, and I I, I also have it printed on a T-shirt. We are having more fun than you are. (laughs) It's like, what? great, crack on. Mm. But there is a cost to drinking, and I'm not talking about money. The Mm. cost is really high. And most people, the person you're describing, I think is usually signed up to the belief system that alcohol is the best way to have fun, excitement, Mm. relax, reward, belong, connect to others. And I manage it so I can get all of those things. And my reply is, great, if you're prepared to pay the cost, because I get all of those things Mm. without alcohol and no cost. I don't have hangovers. You know, I was going clubbing in my late 20s when I was sober a year or two. I'd spend maybe a tenner, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd be up going for a run Sunday morning. Um, I don't have any, you know, anxiety. Um, and I certainly have the health benefits of not drinking are massive because alcohol is such a extremely toxic substance, especially for women. It, mm-hmm. Even very modest drinking, which is, I'm talking about three or four glasses of wine a week, raises your chance of getting breast cancer by 15%. So... If you're happy with the cost, crack on. But don't ever look at me and think that I'm not having fun because Mm -hmm. I've done this for 22 years. And trust me, if this wasn't fun, I'd have been drunk 21 years ago.
1: (laughs) I think that's true. And that's really why I suppose when I was younger, I would look at people who were public advocates of sobriety. And it's the sort of thing you'd associate with people who (laughs) just seemed boring. Um, yeah, yeah, right. It, it would be someone lecturing you, whether that be a doctor, or you you'd think of it as some sort of like you know a vicar or a priest or some or some sort yeah, of like yeah. uptight moral guardian. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I remember what was really powerful this this year was that every performer at the Super Bowl halftime show had been sober for a significant number of yeah. years. I think it was M and M um, Mary
2: J. Blige. And Mary J. Blige. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All, all of them in sober for a long yeah. time and. And that seems to be on the rise a great deal. Like the idea that there's people. The other thing is, is that it's very hard to establish whether or not the things that you think are fun really are fun until you've done them yeah. sober.
2: Yes, it's it's a it's um it's a shift in perception. All sobriety is is a massive shift in perception, and I think we're the same age, Generation X, right? Like mm. we were, like in the I couldn't believe that there was anything better than going out on a big weekend and getting absolutely smashed yeah like drinking you know before you went out i believed that that was the best night ever and and i want to say sometimes i did have great times i mean we're not mm. stupid um but there was always a cost for me but i just rationalized the cost away i just rationalized you know i i had i used to have anxiety depression Like the worst hangovers. I'd never had any money. You know, I was always embarrassing myself. Um, You know, there was a a big cost to my dignity and integrity. But none of that mattered because I sometimes did have a good time. But other times I had like a time, Mm. but the, the, the same cost. So When I stopped drinking at 27, I 100% believed my life was over. I really believed I was going to be like that boring vicar sort of Mm. having a cup of tea, on you know. So it was a big revelation to me. And I think it's related to your age. Like, I don't go clubbing anymore. Mm. But, you know, in my late 20s when I was single, I wanted to do that. And in my 30s, I was going to festivals and going to Spain on holidays. And all. I did everything that you want to do when you're in your 20s and your mm. 30s and your 40s and 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 oh and it was all better it was all better everything was better mm. it, everything was more fun so it's such a I think the shift in perception is just so gargantuan it's just such a massive thing to comprehend that and it takes a, a bit of time for that to happen because I do remember when I stopped drinking Twiddling my thumbs on a Saturday night because I didn't want to go out because I didn't feel safe and I didn't really have any friends and I didn't know what else mm. to do. But eventually, quicker than I realised, I this life I, this life happened to me. You know, I just got a life that was very different and so much better.
1: It's life on your own terms as well, isn't it? You start mm. to decide more carefully the things that you do and you start to be able to assess what things actually bring you pleasure and enjoyment as opposed to sort of coasting through a load of experiences where alcohol is used to make them palatable. Um,
2: what? Yeah.
1: What I was going to say to you, what do you um, think? You know, you've mentioned uh, about this country in particular and our culture here, obviously alcoholism exists all over the world, but I, I hear you when, I, when you say that, like, you know, there is a, a it, it, in, in this country there is, you know, a problem in terms of people wrestling or coping or facing their emotions. What Why do you think that is? And, you know, what differences have you noticed from other countries?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're right, because every country has, you know, France has very high cirrhosis Uh, of the liver rates but they don't have the sort of debauchery on the streets in the same way that we do on a Saturday night Mm. you know America um I was saying like I live in the states um like college binge drinking which Mm. is in America it's very you know college is where kids go away and there's like all I think it's like um 1800 young Americans die every single year in college-related alcohol incidences, which is a massive number, way higher than... It kills more people than the opioid crisis. But in England, everybody drinks like college binge drinkers. I mean, mm. it, it's... I think there's many factors. I think it's our drinking age. I think it's that we don't... In America, They you can't have an open container on the street. I think that there's that. I think that... Um, you know, my generation, Generation X women, was when uh, uh, they really changed the nighttime economy, whereas pubs used to be very male. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had the rise of things like All Bar One and 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 uh, Sex in the City and the mm-hmm. Ladette. And it was really that kind of feminism was joined to, you know, the freedom to drink like the men, whereas women cannot drink like men. Their bodies are different. Um, so I think there's, there's many factors, but I think it, it's a very... Distinct British part of the British personality that we drink alcohol, and you know it's true of the like the Germans, the Scandinavians all have that very similar culture of we are so committed to alcohol, and it, it, it in America.
1: one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com
2: even 20 years ago if i was at a dinner party and someone offered me wine and i said no thanks i'm sober in america 20 years ago i'd be i'd have got the reaction of like oh shop no problem do you want you know water or diet coke or whatever whereas in england 20 years ago and today if i did that at dinner party oh no thanks i don't drink i'm sober i'd probably still get the <gasps> like it, it's like like i told them i had an std or something
1: yeah like this is awkward mm.
2: yeah yeah it, it's i call it alcohol assumption the assumption mm. that everybody drinks so um it, it it's so ingrained in the British culture, but so my belief is we can't tell people that alcohol is bad for them. We have to show them how amazing sobriety is. We mm. ha, we have to show that. So you know, with my clients, what I coach them to do when they you know they say, "Oh, my partner doesn't understand" or "my friends don't understand," I said, "Don't worry, they don't have to understand. It's none of their business. You have to understand. Go about your business of being sober." And then what happens is. A year or so down the line, and you may have had that this experience where people kind of go, "Cause you look great, by the way. Mm. Like your skin is like, what have you, you done? Like you really kind of look like you have a spring in your step." And and then you say, "Oh, I don't drink. I stop drinking." It just doesn't agree with me. And people are like, "Bloody hell!" Like, mm. because the uh, did, uh, did you have that experience where people yeah, began to yeah, notice absolutely. you just seemed better? And and again, it's like you're seven years in. I'm almost twenty-two years in we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't getting all the things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But what about after sobriety? Because, you know, obviously stopping putting alcohol in your system is one thing, but to reach the the point that you're talking about, that that we're lucky enough to have reached where life just seems Mm. fuller and happier, there's more to it than, than just stopping putting the alcohol in your system. In fact, you know, would you, would you say that it's a, you know, you, you can actually carry on in just the same level of, you know, discomfort and restlessness um, even without alcohol in your life, unless you're prepared to commit to the things that that follow that some sort yeah, of program.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's because um, I feel like many of us, when we start drinking are emotional teenagers because we've, you know, uh, often we've used alcohol to mask um, a lot of uh, difficult emotions inside of us that we'd have no idea how to deal with we've defaulted to alcohol to deal with like stress and all of that kind of stuff so we stopped drinking and we're just emotional children mm. i mean I felt like that i just didn't know i didn't know how to deal with people didn't know how to have boundaries i didn't realize i i didn't realize that a lot of the reasons i drank was because of how I feel so on monday you know you i have a disagreement with my boss and I'm, I'm just resentful and pissed off all week and by Friday my co-worker says you come into happy hour and I'm like yeah and I get drunk because I deserve it because of the week I had and I didn't realize that I was drinking because I, I was missing actually a lot of essential life skills mm. so and that's what my why I wrote my book Soberful is I wanted to lay out it, it's just personal development so Everybody on the planet needs to work on themselves. Everybody yeah. has to do. Unless you were fortunate to grow up in the most incredible family that role modelled, you know, all of these things. And you know, I'm a I'm a trained psychotherapist, and I know even in my family, I'm not doing that to my kids because we all, we none of us are perfect. So all of us have to um, self reflect, have to ask difficult questions of ourselves, um, learn new coping skills as circumstances change in our life, yeah. and. I'll, Alcohol they left me no room to do that. So once I stopped drinking, it's really essential things like learning to have boundaries with people, learning to deal with resentments. Big thing for me was being able to, um, I, I suffered from huge anxiety, which I, I now know is really common. Pretty much anyone who has a drinking problem has bad anxiety. Mm. Uh, learning to get to the root cause of that and, and uh, you know get rid of that. Um, dealing with disappointment. Um, all of the just things like navigating life can be tough. Mm. So I, I, ha, you know, I did a lot of therapy. I did, I went to a lot of workshops. I read a lot of self-help books. I've really worked hard on myself, because otherwise our brains will always look for an anesthetic. You know, how can I? No one likes to feel uncomfortable in their own skin, and we can't tolerate that for very long. And without alcohol, I felt very uncomfortable being me, mm. um, and my brain just looked for a way to change that it i had to do there's deeper work and the reason i still do that work almost 22 years later is not because i i think about you know i want to stay away for a drink i don't even i don't think about it. it doesn't exist for me but i do it because i can see direct rewards in my life when i stretch mm. myself when i when i reveal more parts of myself to myself I, I grow from that and that never stops and i've never got bored of that
1: Hmm. um I feel that, you know, we, we can both sit here and, and, you know, I totally relate to what you're saying. I love the sort of, you know, daily discoveries you make about yourself and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, and the and the sort of way in which you feel more kind of um, equipped with each passing week or month to, to deal with the shit that life's going to inevitably throw yeah. at you. Whereas before I spent most of my time just thinking, I hope life doesn't ever throw any shit at me. <laughs> and to stop myself worrying about that, I'll drink. Yeah. Uh, and then there's an exception you think life is gonna throw shit at you. L- get ready, because it, it might not be so difficult if you if you're kind of aware of that and, and equipped to cope with it in a in a sensible way. However, what about people who are listening to this and thinking, God, that sounds like a lot of work. I've got to give up drink first, which is one of my favorite things, and then I've got to do a load of homework.
2: What yeah, you say so to again, It's, again, it's perspective. It's, um, uh, I do a cost benefit analysis with my clients. So it's like, okay, let's look at, you know, what your, what the benefits of drinking are for you and what it costs you. Mm. And that that usually brings people down to earth quite quickly in that they realize alcohol's not really delivering on its promises very regularly. And the cost is extremely high. And the other thing about, You know, this sounds like a a lot of work. It's not. Having a drink problem is is work. That's fricking hard work. Have you ever been to work on a hangover? Have you ever had to raise children on a hangover? Have you ever been full of self-loathing and disgust about what something you said when you were out of your head at the weekend? Have you ever just just managing alcohol? Have you have you are you like doing Dry January and trying not, not drinking during the week and just drinking at weekends and staying away from spirits? Ugh. Like that is hard fricking work sobriety takes effort it takes some effort but it there's a payoff it's worth it um it, it my my you know where my life was when i first stopped drinking to where it is now is indescribable and i can it, it's not perfect i don't want ever you know mislead people that it's perfect i have challenges but the all i'm able, i'm equipped now to deal with those challenges and and the biggest thing is how i can grow i did not come here to spend of my bandwidth arguing with myself about whether I'm going to have a glass of wine or not like Mm -hmm. I am here to do way way Mm. more than that so all it's always uh, being sober is about two things it's about consistency just like physical exercise I have to do that consistently I consistently just put the effort in to develop myself more and it's about a shift in perception so Mm. what you know I I just say to people honestly if you're fine with the cost crack on (laughs)
0: <laughs> crack on if
2: you're okay by the way as you age this cost will only increase it will never mm. go down and the benefits will de- decrease but if you're happy with what alcohol is bringing to your life crack on but please don't think that's my mission that's my mission is to to let people know please do not think that sober equals boring we are having way more fun than you are uh, uh, th- this is an extraordinary life we don't miss out on anything we only gain but crack on if you want to if you're not interested in you know trying that <laughs>
1: What about uh, being a mum and the whole kind of gin o'clock culture that you've seen it emerge? I mean, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, it made a big impact on the on the booze industry. The fact that, you know, women embraced uh, drinking, I guess, it, it mm. in a way that men had only traditionally done. Do you think that was something that was... Um, Do you think that that women have been strategically and carefully sort of coaxed into this culture or do you think it's something that's just emerged?
2: A hundred percent, specifically in the 90s to cultivate um, that market uh, uh, amongst young women and and equating it with feminism. Um, The whole mummy needs wine culture, there is a long history of um, mothers being anesthetized, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, they were marketing Valium as mother's little helper, mm. you know, and you know, benzos. But you know, it's like, uh, w- women are angry, mothers in particular, we're angry, we have no affordable childcare, we're expected, we were told a lie that we could have it all look fabulous, and be mothers and it not afford. Our careers, and none of that's true. So, I think there's a real kind of history of marketing to women and mothers, uh, and it's gaslighting women like all of these really important concerns. Don't worry, have some Prosecco, mm. it will all be fine. And I'm not, you know, I was just at an event last night for, <clears throat> for my kids' school, it was a fundraiser and it was in a restaurant bar. Fabulous band, such a great band. Um, And, you know, part of the price was you got a free drink and, you know, mums and dads are enjoying a drink or two. Lovely. You know, that's wonderful. Mm. Good. You know, uh, that's great. It's it. But it's really creeping into like, you know, day drinking, play dates, all of that kind of stuff. And there's a huge price for women and mothers, a huge price and and not to mention for their children. The other thing is I'm going to have to say a lot of this is white privilege, because you, you know, you get a lot of white middle class mummies, you know, enjoying a glass of wine or two with their kids running around, you know, you, I, I, things people say to me is like, oh, you're just, you know, you, you're you being judgy and they deserve it. And, and I just think mm, you put that, uh, you change that to black mothers. Mm-hmm. Would people be having the same reaction that it's just harmless mummy you know mummy needs wine Mm. all of that kind of stuff so i think there's also quite a lot of white privilege or like working class
1: in actual fact i mean all of that stuff and and classist you're
2: absolutely right you you do that in a council estate in toxteth and would you have the? Would that be the same thing? So there's a lot of class and a lot of white privilege in all of that. And again, I'm not against mums. You know, if you have an appropriate relationship with alcohol, not against mums having a glass of wine or going out and enjoying themselves. But it's the whole thing of of marketing alcohol as a parenting aid. I mean, in America, I've seen um, a couple of wine companies that like they call their, it's Playdate Wine or oh the, another God. one was Mummy Needs Wine. And one there's one company even wrote a children's book about why their mummy loves wine. I mean, it's just like beyond belief. Mm. So it, it, it's at way out of balance. It's way, I'm not against mothers having a drink. Please don't get me wrong. But this is way, way, way out of balance. And it's, it's gaslighting women so that they're not focused on, on, being angry about the issues that really do affect them that makes motherhood so hard
1: Hmm. and it's just so normalized isn't it that that's the thing I mean like it obviously in in other ways it is for for all sorts of men too and I and funnily enough I do see a younger generation of fathers who perhaps have tried to embrace the role of being a bit more full-time than perhaps our father's generation did where there was a bit more kind of traditional sort of delineation of the um of like the way in which parents divvy everything up um and and a lot of dads who, who I've met who had to get sober or maybe still are struggling with booze have said well you know it's like I thought I could do the whole I, I thought I could be like a really hands-on dad and chip in my share as well as all the others the other things that I do. But actually it ended up driving me into like once the kids were in bed, late night solo drinking and often coke binges uh, regularly. Um, which is obviously a case of, well, you know, yeah, welcome to what women have been going through for the last however many years. And it's sort of a growing thing amongst amongst men as well. But I guess these things we just need to denormalize. And 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 I guess your mission is denormalize it whilst at the same time normalizing a sort of a a more fulfilling form of sobriety, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we don't, we can't ban alcohol. I don't want that to happen. It has a, a place in our culture and society. What I want to do is normalize not drinking. You know, 40 years ago, if you were a vegetarian, people looked at you odd. And and you couldn't really be catered for. Maybe if you were lucky, you could get an omelette here or there. But, but good luck if you were vegan, let mm. alone gluten-free. I can be mm. gluten-free, dairy-free, nut-free. And I can go pretty much anywhere and be catered mm. for. And nobody raises an eyebrow, you know. If you're gluten-free, you don't go to a dinner party and someone says, go on, have a bread roll, have a bread roll, just have one, it's Friday, right? Mm. But alcohol still the, you know, you still, it's a drug that we have to explain that we're not taking. So I, for my kids, I want not drinking to be like being vegetarian it's mm. you know some people drink and but people who don't drink they're having a great time you, you know I, I live on the west coast of america and there's lots of mormons here and um they're actually quite a fun bunch mm. and i have some mormon friends and um they live very full lives and they don't drink then that's part of their religion and um they were telling me that when they went to university, there's a specific Mormon university in the U.S. And they said, we were doing, like, we were out to 4 a.m., like, we were up to all sorts, but nobody was drunk or loaded. There was none of, like, we were partying, we had, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, exactly the same. And I was like, wow, that's really, you know, there's lots of cultures that don't mm. drink, um, you know, Muslims, and uh, I, I want to make not drinking alcohol a lifestyle option that nobody questions—that that, that mm. that's just what some people do—and for people who do drink, to be just much more clearer on the cost, um, and, and what their their perception is of the benefits. And and I really want people to know, you don't have to drink to get any of the things that alcohol promises that if we weren't having fun we would be drunk by now you do not need to drink to have fun excitement belonging connection relax reward yourselves at all um so and i believe we can get there things have changed and i, I believe we can be on this path now
1: i totally agree and i think the more people sharing messages like yours then uh, the easier it will become uh veronica yeah. Your book is out now, Soberful, Uncover a Sustainable, Fulfilling Life Free of Alcohol. Don't know why I told you that, you know. Uh,
0: I'm just
1: telling the audience, really. Um, So go out and buy that, everyone. Uh, Thanks ever so much for your time and all that wonderful wisdom today. It's a real pleasure talking to you.
2: Brilliant, Sam. I've loved talking to you. Thanks so much.
1: Cheers. Well, there you go, Veronica Valley. I hope you were inspired by her words. And if you're thinking of quitting booze, then I can really recommend her book, Soberful, Uncover a Sustainable, Fulfilling Life Free of Alcohol. It's a great read. You can also listen to her excellent podcast, Soberful, and check all of her work out at Soberful.com. Remember also to subscribe to The Reset at samdelaney.substack.com and follow The Reset Sam on Instagram. Until next time, gang, thanks for listening, stay lucky, and don't let the dickheads get you down.